When I went to church and took communion and donated for people in these faraway islands to build a daughter block, and then left thinking I was good at myself, yet unconsciously would cross the street to avoid somebody in Māori. You know, it never, ever connected on me. What does it actually mean to have Christian values? What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a treaty partner? What does it mean to be yeah. What does it mean for us as a society to include and um, celebrate diversity none more so than the Indigenous minority? This is Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. Kia ora. welcome to Down to Earth Conversations for 2021. I'm Andy Dixon, it's good to have you here. For those listening for the first time, no my haeremai, you are very welcome and it's great to have you joining us. For those who listened in last year, uh, welcome back and thanks for the ongoing support. You'll hopefully notice some changes this year. I've changed up the intro to get us into the conversations a bit more quickly and I also have the privilege of using music from the awesome Strawn. Uh, check him out on Spotify, S-T-R-A-H-A-N. So... Uh, that's awesome because not only is he fantastic and produces amazing music, but it also means I don't have to rehash music my own band recorded in like 2008 or something like I did last year. I've pulled together a cracking lineup this year already. They're all so great it's hard to know who to bring you in what order. But I'm really honoured to be able to begin the year with former Mayor of New Plymouth and self-confessed recovering racist Andrew Judd. Last year we had a couple of awesome tangata whenua kōrero with us about race. This year I wanted to bring a Pākehā perspective because, as a Pākehā, I know how easy it is to dismiss ideas from those who are different to me as whining or moaning, uh, but to hear this from someone who is like me actually makes it harder to dismiss. Andrew had a huge worldview shift around race while in the role of mayor that has shaped his life beyond that. We talk about what he loved about being mayor what brought on the shift in thinking, and the negative response to that from his constituents, and how he sees life now. We cover the issue of Māori wards, and his role in petitioning the government to change the law around that, and why he feels that that is important for New Zealand. It's an honest, open conversation about some hard truths, and it's my privilege to bring it to you. This is episode 21 of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Andrew Judd. I'm here today with former Mayor of New Plymouth, Andrew Judd. Kia ora, Andrew. Kia ora. And why don't we just start, for those who don't know you, um, nor here queer, who, who are you, where are you from? Sure, so thank you firstly for the invitation to share some of my story. So I'm a 55-year-old um, Masterton born and bred Pakeha. Um, my parents and my mum was an immigrant child from Guernsey post-World War II. My dad worked in the community. He was a lay preacher at the Anglican Church, St Matthew's. Masterton, and before he passed away, ran a hostel for runaway children, boys actually. Oh, cool. um, my journey to get to the point where I met, I refer to myself as a recovering racist. I um, discovered uh, something within myself that made myself challenge myself. But other than that, I'm a dispensing optician. I have an optical practice here in New Plymouth, Taranaki, um, married to Trudy, a nurse, and two lovely kids, Rachel and Jacob, who are both. Once finished almost her degree and one about to start, we're about to face 
uh, emptiness syndrome. So that's a new experience as well. Um, but fundamentally, I'm just I just see myself as nothing um, out of the ordinary. I just I was got into local politics. Uh, I own a business. I have like a lot of people. Uh, it's uh, an experience from my childhood through to adulthood, one that I reflect on as being um, privileged. Went through Anglican upbringing, uh, as I say. Um, yeah, a lot to share, I guess. Cool. We'll get to the, the recovering racist stuff soon because mm. um, we, we mm. do definitely want to talk about that. First, though, you, you're an optician by, by trade, you said. Yes. What gave you the desire to want to get into local politics? So um, just by clarification, I'm a dispensing optician, so I employ optometrists, and so I, I dispense, I'm licensed to dispense uh, prescriptions from uh, the doctors. Um, and in doing to come to your question, so I opened my own practice, and we were at an awards evening for Taranaki, and we won Top Shop, which was very exciting at the time. And... The then mayor came up to me to congratulate me and gave me a pen from his pocket and said, when you wake up tomorrow, you're going to say, oh, that's the pen from the mayor. How exciting. But I want you to use that pen to apply for the next local body elections because I think one day you could be our next mayor. And so I'd never considered politics. And, yes, that definitely ticked all the ego boxes, to be honest. <laughs> Turns out you can say that to everybody to encourage people standing, but it certainly worked for me. And I'd never, ever considered uh, politics. I uh, obviously I guess, peripheral political views, nothing particularly strong and rather conservative, um, socially liberal, I would say, but financially conservative, I guess. I'd, um, but, yeah, it, it sparked an, an interest. And so I thought, you know what, why not? I'm, I'm being, I've got a one-a-top shop. Maybe I could uh, get on council and, and contribute. And all the cliches make a difference, bring my experience and that to the table. And um, so I applied for council and got on, got, got elected. I did two terms as councillor and then stood for mayor. What was your favourite part of that journey? I think um, a deeper understanding of who I am as a person because for the first time in my life, I actually had to publicly lay my view on something through a vote. Mm. I was elected to actually make a decision. And I'm generally a people pleaser. I, I found that quite strange and that be careful what you wish for because now you can't sit on the fence center and it's not some debate or opinion in the car or around the water cooler as such this was real the media are sitting there people are watching you and so um, I found that as a person as a human being a fascinating experience because of all the the nuances of, of what does it mean to be a councillor what does it mean to actually be a politician how do you how do you live at night how do you look in the mirror and a lot of the issues oh gee I, didn't, I just didn't know I agreed with both sides of the argument and I thought well I I have to land somewhere. So I found that, selfishly to say, but I found that very exciting and uh, thrilling. Mm. And council stuff, I mean, it's, it, there is boring aspects because of the bureaucracy that sits behind things. But it's a bit like, I suppose, something like a game of chess. But once you're into it, you really can, it becomes quite addictive. Not without challenge, though, of course, because there's this nagging voice that comes with you. And that is, and I'm, I guess I'm being, I guess, not wanting to put everyone into the same box, but. I often think to myself, what's the first thing a politician thinks of after election night? And that is, now how am I going to get re-elected? Right. So there's this force on your shoulder about wanting to walk the ground that keeps you safe. And you may not mm. truly understand that or admit that, but it's definitely there. And so you'd have a debate, and I'd, I'm just being honest, I mean, the first thing I'd think of is, well, how's this going to, is this what I campaigned on? Is this staying true to what I said? I may have heard new information. And I think, oh, I didn't actually fully understand that. 
am I going to oppose something that I campaigned on now? I, oh, what do I do? Yeah. So, and you can see that in colleagues too, because councils, I mean, all politicians, but councils particularly, because you're not, you're not part of a political party. You, we literally are off the streets. I mean, I'm a dispensing optician. How would I know how to run a wastewater treatment plant or to yeah. fund correctly infrastructure or, you know? Yeah. So you learn and you just, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it really is grassroots democracy. Yeah. So obviously uh, you did your two terms and then you, you went for the mayoral candidacy and you got through that. So so you became mayor, uh, which means that you had a, a majority support there. Yeah, well, so my campaign slogan was, let's bring honesty back to local politics. Nice. And the narrative underpinning that was, I wasn't actually getting any other uh, merit such. It was really about, we weren't being honest from my perspective around the... Um, increasing costs of the infrastructure. We have an ageing population who are asset rich in their home but cash poor on uh, you know, retirement and that's our main population was retired. So, uh, And there's looming infrastructure costs were coming down the, our way and so we weren't being honest about our spending. <laughs> Little did I ever, could I have ever imagined that actually those words of honesty and local politics would come at me in a way that challenged me to the very core of who I am as a husband, a father, a pakeha, a businessman. Um, yeah. Māori wards, Māori representation. Yeah. yeah, and obviously that's been a big part of your journey from there. Tell us a little bit about how, how did you go from being voted into mayor to being spat at in the street? Yes, I had one of the biggest majorities of any mayor elected for many, many years. And I wow. removed I removed a one-term mayor who was an ex-MP representative. So it was quite unprecedented. Um, but my anal- I, I draw on a high love analogies. I guess in some ways... It's again, be careful what you wish for. And I, I likened to the mayoralty when I first arrived because you have this weight of expectation. It's a bit like I thought, before you've got children, I had a view of how my children will be. They'll go to bed at yeah. 7 o'clock, they'll eat all their vegetables and they'll read and do their homework until I have them. And so becoming the mayor becomes this whole weight of what does that mean? What does it mean to be a mayor? How do I be as a truth, you know, to, how can I stay true to myself, let alone to my community? And again, like children. There's so many competing issues within a community and good people who are completely opposed. And so you find yourself with this huge mandate. I mean, I had a 15,000 odd vote majority. I had permission to do what I campaigned on. And I was applauses and toots and waves and um, back to the uh, the Rotary Club for lunch to be congratulated. And um, I remember going to what we, they called New Mayor's School in Wellington when you're first elected to a mayoralty. It's quite quite cute, really. And one of the speakers was Tim Shadbolt. And it really stuck with me. This was, I was only in the job a week or so, and he said, there's two types of mayors. You can be someone in your office uh, working hard to get things done, or you can be out and about shaking hands, kissing babies, going to birthdays at rest homes. And I, I, it really stuck with me. That's that's right. What, what kind of mayor am I going to be? Because I'm a human being with all the weaknesses and frailties of the intoxication of the title. Um, here I am for the first time. I mean, I, You've experienced anything like this, but you have a you have PAs, you have a massive office, you've got a big boardroom table. People bring you what you pretty much, you know, your lunch and your coffees. And people listen when you speak. Um, I quite like that. I think I might be nice to stay here. Um, but the bigger question, of course, is not only what does it mean to be a man, but actually what does it mean to be someone who perhaps has, I'm not a good Christian in any stretch, but, you know, raised with a sense of, moral compass is not a perfect person by any stretch but fundamentally to want to do what's right 
what are you going to do when something comes your way when doing what's right isn't actually popular? Yeah. And so to jump to what you say, being spat at and, and rejected and dead man walking and swearing, what did I do? I stood up for Māori. Why did people find that so threatening? So you see, it's the Māori ward. We voted to establish a Māori ward. And I often reflect that the, the, the anger and the kickback that I was getting, I saw myself in that. All the words being thrown at me and the statements, and the, I understood where that was coming from because I was raised to have that kind of attitude. Mm. You know, I thought, who did I think Jesus was? Some Pākehā farmer down the coast? Who, when I went to church and took communion and donated for people in these faraway islands to build a toilet block and then left thinking I was good at myself, yet unconsciously would cross the street to avoid somebody Māori. You know, it mm. never, ever connected on me. What does it actually mean to have Christian values? What does it mean to be a good person? What does it mean to be a treaty partner? What does it mean to be yeah? What does it mean for us as a society to include and um, celebrate diversity None more so than the Indigenous minority. So, ah, what a what a time in my office of of isolation and loneliness. Because there was a point where, as the mayor, I could have said, "We'll just skip the Māori ward question, or do I take it to the community through the council?" And you know, I I don't know. I can't find the words. I thought, what would I want my mayor to do if I was Māori? Because if I can't do it for all of us, why would I only support the majority? Because I'm not a councillor, I'm not one of those. I'm now, you're in this position of the overview. Mm. And I knew in my heart what the right thing to do was, and I knew from that moment on that that would be the end. But I knew I had to do it. Because why? That's what honesty in local politics means, Andrew. Yeah, yeah. You said you were, you were raised with that kind of view, the, and you'd cross the street um, if, if a Māori person was coming. What were the experiences that you had that... that softened you to that, that changed you to the point where you're like, actually, no, this is the right thing to do? So a few things happened. Firstly, though, the first one that was quite, um, I guess, prophetic to me was, I, as the mayor, I'd never been on a manai in my life when I was elected to the mayoralty. I mean, I was raised in Marston, lived a lot of time in Hamilton, 20-odd years here in New Plymouth. I'd never been on a manai. I didn't know what Māori culture was at all, but here I am the mayor. You don't need to be a mayor to go on a marae, and this is just to answer your question, but there's a, a day that's celebrated, rightly so, by Māori Dim here in Taranaki, which is the Maui Pōmāori Māori Day, who was a young child when Parihaka was invaded by the constabulary. His foot was stood on, toe was broken. He went on to become a medical GP and politician and did a lot of policy work to save Māori, really, through the benefits of you know, improving health, etc. But I had no idea about this. But here I am, the mayor, on a marae. And as I was on this marae for Super Maui Day, wired in the sun, and something called at me. It was, I couldn't, I can't find the words to truly explain this, but it was a drawing to what I termed to look at that mirror that you know is inside you, Andrew. Because for the first time in your life, you're in this mouldy environment, something that was so foreign to me, yet just down the road. And they're singing wire with tears. The wire is repeating the drum of the troops coming to Parihaka. I'm fighting and swallowing back my emotional tears of my ignorance. And I had to pick up that mirror and take ownership of what I saw. And I knew really what it was. It was an ignorant racist. I'm a racist. Then it's, well, what are you going to do about that? This is internal dialogue. 
because it's so easy to put that mirror down and ignore it. Mm. And that hurt too because that's my privilege because nothing affects me. I can walk away from this situation and carrying on shaking hands, kissing babies and going to the Rotary Club and doing its own work in the office. Wow, who am I then? How am I going to be in that space? And so those were kind of trigger moments for you to examine yourself. Well, so some internal floodgates started to open up that I I, I pretty much couldn't stop, self-challenging myself. And every time I went to stop it, I wanted I had another challenge as to why why would you stop? Why aren't you being honest with yourself? Because it wasn't wasn't so much the ignorance. I needed to know where my initial response to all things Māori came from. What drove that? Because I would instantly have a rage, an internal feeling. I didn't say anything. I didn't act out. Of course, not in my. You know, I didn't do anything really. But I felt it. You know, Waitangi Day. It was just a day off for me, really, until the six o'clock news. Well, oh, look at them now. What's wrong with? them and marries, they've got to get over this stuff, we've got to move on, you know, this is historic past, you know, we're all one, and so I just, I wanted to really challenge where did that, that emotional response come from, because it was a deep anger, I, I know it now, I, I, for me, I can only speak, I can only speak for me, but for me, I said to myself, I think you're feeling what you called racism, Andrew, you know, as a country, as Pākehā, we don't have a proper conversation with each other. We deflect away completely, like we're some utopia country. That doesn't exist here. And I wanted to challenge my deflections even. Could that be the right to deflect? Because I've never experienced racism. Yet I thought I had the right to have such a strong opinion on how and what it is. And I deflect, well, at least we're not like Australia. You know, and we're not the KKK. No, we're not that. But we do have done and continue to do actual racist things. Well, I did. And so I kept pushing at this because that's where the change has to start. You have to challenge yourself in an honest way. Only you can have that dialogue with yourself. Only we only know our own thoughts and feelings. And it's a hard one to take because there's is Pākehā, or it's non maori of course. There's no consequence for me to, to not do it. Why would I? The defence mechanisms are there every step of the way, and they're strong. Well, I didn't do anything. I didn't take the land or stop the language. I'm trying to be a good person. Maybe I'm not perfect. I think, well, no, I didn't do that. But what I've done was cross the street to avoid somebody Māori. What I've done is hold preconceived ideas about Māori. What I've done is pahu Māori. Maybe not verbally in some situations, but in some where I felt safe, I did. Why was I like that? Yeah. Where did this come from? Who planted that in me? Mm. Well, actually, my country did. I was messaged to be like this. So it's a cycle. And so how are you going to change it? Well, I have to change myself first. And to do that, I have to be honest with myself. And once you have that truth, that's your safeguard. I'm not proud to say this. Of course I'm not. I'm just being honest to say this. But I'm a mayor. Are you really going to say it as a mayor, Andrew? Because do you realise, mate, that'll be with you for the rest of your life? Yes, but it's the truth. And I'm trying to be a better person. And I'm trying to help others to challenge themselves. Not to name, shame or blame. I don't know what's in the other people's hearts. wouldn't have a clue. I just know what was in mine. And I ask people to look into their own heart. And actually be really strict with yourself in terms of challenging yourself. Because let's be honest, we all know it, right? We all feel it. And it's not Māori. I, I reflect now. Um, I look, saying infliction, you know, 
head nod, a shake, a tone, to things matter. Yeah. Hearing you say that, that you started recognising those things in you, I was reading the other day some, some words that you'd spoken and you'd said you actually, you haven't just then jumped in to talk to all the people that agree with you. You actually no. want to engage with those who think like you used to think, including the likes of Don Brash and, and others who, who are very much the let's all be one kind of, kind of voice. There's the view that we should all be treated the same. We've all got the same chance of getting in. If they're good enough, they'll get voted in. Why do we need Māori wards? You know, what what would you say to the let's be one kind of aspect of that? So Kaumatu has said it, and it's really stuck with me. If we're all going to be one, let's all be one, let's all be Māori. Because whose view of one are we saying we are? We're not one. Yes, we're one under God. We're all God's children. But culturally, we are different. Did I really think it was appropriate and right for us to take away someone's right to be who they are? And it's not. It's not appropriate. It's wrong. And so, but I understand where that push comes from. And you're right. I I need to keep going to the space where I've come from so that I can get people to look into their own inner mirror. It's the hardest place to stand. I there's nothing to be gained by people that agree with you in that regard. I'm drawn to try and help. Throw the daggers. It's okay. I understand. I'm not going to judge people because I've come from that. Who would I be? I'd be completely a hypocrite. A lot of the stuff you throw at me, I threw, I threw it myself. I challenged myself at that space. I thought, who do you think you are? You, what are you, some left-leaning lunatic now? Are you some liberal? Have you, have you lost the plot? Um, someone's got to. I thought, of course, I challenged myself. It's hard to take this journey. Because every time, if you're truly honest, you'll come up against something that is confronting. Because we don't want to admit that within ourselves. You know, it's, that's why we, because one of the things was, is why did I go from relaxed heartbeat to quite angry? If challenged in this space previously, like a real anger. Like a, and if it was, so if I'm not being, if I didn't, if I wasn't feeling racism, why am I so angry? If you said, oh, I'm, a, I'm an alien, and you know, I'd laugh, because right? it's ridiculous. Well, I think you're racist. I'd get really wild. This is some truth nerve had been touched. So what gets missed in this whole part of this Māori ward is, and I'm not a fan of the term Māori ward, it's actually it's because people say, oh, you can't have race-based privilege, and I agree, you can't have race-based privilege. It's completely wrong, absolutely. But it's treaty-based. The law tells us it's treaty-based. Our founding document is based on Te Tira Te Waitangi. And so there's a legal obligation, but more than importantly to me, there's a moral obligation. And so what gets lost a bit in this translation is that the whole reason councils are debating Māori thieves is because they have to, by law, undertake what's known as a representation This is about representation. If you take councils to one side and think of government, the House of uh, um, Parliament is the House of um, Representatives. We have electorate seats around the country. If you're just having the same argument about if you're just good enough stand, then don't have seats for the country to stand as nation. Then you say, well, hang on a minute, Auckland will dominate. Well, what, why would that matter? The best person would get elected. Well, no, what? My voice won't be there. Who's going to speak for me in my town, city? So that's why it's called representation, so that your voice is there to be part of the decisions. Because it's about community. It's about the country, of course. It's about coming together and the differences that we have. Then you'll hear people say, well, what's next? Other cultural wards? When does this end? Well, actually, New Zealand, why did we def- why did we decide to have MMP? We wanted greater diversity. And it's presented that. 
if you put your political view aside, it's irrelevant in that it's created an environment where these minority people get a voice. Take ACT, for example. I'm not getting any political view, but in terms of being able to be at the table, MNP did that. So this whole argument of, of pure democracy, we do make tweaks to make it fair so that we have fair representation. We have Māori seats in Parliament. We have for many years, and most parties have used those seats to form governments, and we've got on with it, and we celebrate that in a lot of ways. But when it comes to council, we lose our, our mind. Well, why? Because council, in a lot of ways, more than central government, is even more important for local representation, because that's where those decisions of uh, acts of government are put to to enact, like the RMA, building consents and environmental space, and Māori don't have the same protections that we have in our central government. To have a voice that's there is a treaty partner. So when people say they should stand on their own right, well, they do. It's a representative seat because we have other forms of representative seats. We have rural seats. We have city seats or general seats. Why? Because people would say, and I completely agree, but that, and it makes sense, well, the farming community has its own cultural view and perspective is there should be a seat for that so that we make good decisions and they're not left out. Yeah. Well, that applies to Māori. But what gets lost is the understanding that Māori are a people in their own right. Yeah. You cannot absorb that culturally. That is wrong to do. And if you're in a Christian environment, I often use the example, there's lots of denominations. There's only one God, but we all have slight different views on that, don't we? We have rights as our own Christian or religious type beliefs. To be in that space, would you band together to exclude one because why? You know what I mean? It doesn't work, does it? Because it's about love and inclusion. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And as most of our listeners will know, but um, maybe there's some that don't, there, there's been a law that when councils have introduced Māori wards or when they've voted to establish Māori wards, mm-hmm. if 5% of the voting population of that area uh, sign a petition, then that can go to referendum and then everybody gets to decide whether that's in or out. And when you were a mayor, that happened to you and your decision on Māori wards was overturned. That's right. What did that feel like for you at the time? So I I knew it would be lost. I knew where I'd come from. I knew what old Andrew would have said and done. I knew from the get-go of the, even of the agenda coming to the council, the massive kickback I was getting. Uh, as to even why that's on the table. You should have campaigned on this stuff. If I'd known you were a Maori lover, I would never have voted for you. You're trying to bring apartheid in. Wow. So I had a pretty strong sense of what was going to unfold. But I had to do this. We had to, we had to hold the mirror up because we can't change it without being honest with ourselves. Because let's just pack, back that up a sec. You're right. Only the Maori wood can be petitioned and removed. The other seats cannot. So when people say we should have the same rights and privileges, I agree. They should be based on the treaty and it should be the same rights and privileges. That privilege or right towards Pākehā doesn't exist. How would, would we create a law that allows Māori to get 5% of Māori to sign a petition to exclude us because we're Pākehā? I mean, what kind of country are we when we stand on one side of the fence and say, we're the country that gave the woman the vote and uh, same-sex marriage, we're progressive, we're inclusive. We are. Now, where's that form I need to sign to get those pesky Marys out? Who do they think they are? And we've normalised colonisation and dressed it up as democracy. 
and feel affronted yeah. when all it's about is the quality, actually, and the quality only of that the process of establishing representative seats is the same, the same for both treaty partners. This isn't about saying you should or shouldn't have a Māori board. This was simply about the journey of establishing those seats should be the same. And not only yeah. that, let's be honest, if anyone should be asked, it should be Māori. Māori should be asked how they feel they would like to be represented. And it should be there in a permanent way. Because even one seat is an insult. It's, I mean, for New Plymouth, for example, it's one seat out of 14 councillors. What were people scared of? What do they think would actually happen? Yeah, and I think that's a really good point too, because people hear the term Māori wards and assume that suddenly there's going to be this overtaking of everything and everything's going to be different. There's a whole lot of fear that comes along, isn't there? Well, so on that, part of my challenge within myself was, where's my empathy? How would I feel if the tables were reversed? Because actually everything that's created here in New Zealand is designed by me as Pākehā for me as Pākehā. And I expect Māori. And it, it dovetails into that we're all one. What I'm saying is we're all one because you need to be like me. Don't make me learn any of that Mary stuff. I don't want to speak Mary language, all that horrible things. That's how I was naturally raised to respond. And I'd made it to the point where I was felt completely justified. I didn't see anything wrong. It felt so natural and normal to have that thinking and attitude. I was completely blind to how hurtful that actually is to my fellow human being, my treaty partner, um, my spiritual brothers and sisters, to think that I had this right to just have a form and attitude and opinion over someone else like that. When I've never experienced that. I've been, always been the majority culture in New Zealand. It's always been English. Everything, the Queen, it's all, it's all a reflection of me. And so that, and part of my journey, led to the challenge of, well, what does it mean to be Pākehā? What does that actually mean? What am I, as a Pākehā, what are my shared values? What do I stand for and believe in? Is that the same? Because I'm not Māori, but I'm not English or British or Australian. I'm, I was born in Masterton, but I'd read Māori culture when I felt it suited me. Haka at a rugby match, that's great. Yeah. Paul Fuddy for visiting dignitaries, fantastic. But I don't know how to speak te reo Māori, I don't know how to do the haka, and I wouldn't have a clue what the Paul means. But we're all one. I mean, the, the brokenness within that thinking just was just burst out glaringly at me, that actually it's us that's broken. Us are the, we are the ones who've caused the pain and the, the continuing pain. We are the ones that have to change not Māori, they're struggling to fit in with what we've done and the benefits of it and all of our structures, even our churches, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, as we're talking now, yesterday the government announced that the law that allows for this petitioning and removal of Māori wards is going to be ended, which Correct. I imagine you're very happy about. Oh, static. I, along with many others, have been following you on Facebook where you've been... Uh, posting daily asking for the removal of this law uh, for well over two years now, isn't it? Two years and 262 days. That's post my, my, that's post my personal petition to Parliament. I was Because I spoke to a select committee to get the law repealed, and so I've counted since then. For me, it's been six years since the, the, the initial decision to establish the Māori ward went through. But I'm nothing. For Māori, it's been since Cook arrived. So to have the law repealed, completely worth celebrating, without a doubt. But let's be honest, all they've really done is removed a barrier. This isn't opened our hearts to be inclusive. 
This doesn't mean councils are going to all of a sudden overnight because the laws changed include Māori in any real formal way. Because I contend and say to people, because you have to change within yourself. That's where the real change comes from. And it doesn't matter whether it does, it's irrelevant whether you agree with what Andrew Judd's saying. What matters is what you ask of yourself. What questions have you challenged of you? Because only you can be honest in that space. You mentioned right at the start that you talk about yourself as a recovering racist. What is it for you that has you using this title, recovering racist? Because it's it's truth. There are still things that trigger me. Um, it'd be like saying, oh, well, I was an alcoholic, so I haven't had a drink for a while, so I'm no longer an alcoholic. Like a recovering alcoholic, I'm a recovering, in the sense, I want to answer your question, I'm a recovering racist. Because I would contend it's in my DNA. And it doesn't go just towards Māori. It goes towards anything different that I see. I feel it. Yeah. I get a jerk. I, even within Māori, I might see somebody with facial moko and tattoo. I, I feel that initial jolt and fear and uncertainty. Some might say that's natural to seeing something different. Is it? Maybe it is. But for me, it triggers all those strands that take me back to how I was raised to be. And I liken it New Zealand. We're polite racists. Because our default to racism, as I mentioned before, is things like KKK or Australia. We, we deflect off. We give ourselves permission to not look at ourselves. And it's a real hard thing, to be honest, with, a, with something that's broken in you, isn't it? We don't, as I say, I don't get joy out of saying that. It's not some commercial tagline. It hurts my soul, right? but it's a truth. And the truth is the, the ability to set yourself free and to keep working on yourself. That's why I'm recovering. I'll always be recovering. Mm. That's awesome. I would be, it would be arrogant of me to say I'm recovered because I'm not. I have to continuously work to be the better, best person I can be daily. Yeah. Because even if I may not say something, I, there, there'll be that quick thought. The judgment still pops up. I hear of a crime on the news headline. I still think it's somebody from a gang who's Maori. There's little subtleties that I, I, I had never, ever thought of having to be on the receiving end of that. Because I don't have to deal with that as a Pākehā, because I'm comfortably in the majority. I have to do better work to understand that, to respect difference, to understand cultural views and, and have a sense of empathy. And that's hard for me as a Pākehā because, you know, I don't know what my culture is in a lot of ways. I'm discovering it in that, because uh, I used to hate the word Pākehā, the passion, don't ever call me that. And I've come to realise, though, that place was gifted to me by our ancestors. Imagine Māori doing that, signing off to say, well, we'll have a relationship and we'll agree to that. Um, so that's the place I was given. I was, I'm a treaty partner, that, and I have to be good at that. I have to put effort into that. That doesn't mean I lose anything, though. No one's forcing anything on me. It means I gain so much more. Because I'm able to drop that fear, which is so close to rage, anger, and hatred. The trip line within that space is almost instant. And I try to put the brakes on that. And now I'm aware of myself in that regard. I can put the brakes on. That's why I'm recovering. Yeah. What advice would you give to the person who's in that kind of first step position? Take your time, because it's not easy to go on that journey. And, it, and But be, always be conscious of how it's easy to give yourself permission to put it down and not pick it up again. And every time you do that, let that little inner voice say, that's your privilege because, you know, you have to pick it back up and work hard on you. Give yourself space. You know, we, we have been born into this environment that we all have to deal with. And so, um, but be truthful and honest. 
really truthful and honest with yourself. You don't have to share that particularly with anybody else. It's your own inner, inner dialogue. It's your own conscience. It's your own self-awareness of who you are as a human being. But be really, really honest. And uh, you'll find that you'll find the answer. And it will be confronting because the truth of what took place in our country, the truth of what was done and taken from Māori is horrendous. And until we face back sin collectively, because we are the descendants of our ancestors that enjoy the benefits of those acts. So I would argue by extension, we are part of it because we haven't faced up to it. And by not facing up to it, we are perpetuating it and justifying it by ignoring it. Māori have to look at this every day in every corner and aspect of society. Māori wards in the petition is just one glaring obvious that you cannot hide from because it's so biased and racist. But underpinning that is so much more. You, the person, can change that. And the other part of that is be brave because it's hard. It's hard to have these conversations with each other and you'll start to recognise the responses that initially were in you. But be peaceful and loving because it is hard for people to, to talk about this stuff. I know that because I've come from that. And the only thing you can truly manage when you debate with your friends and loved ones is your reaction. And you'll, you'll observe people, you know, and it, and it may be you're taking a te reo course. You might be thinking, you know what, I'm going to put some effort in and pronounce te reo Māori as best as I can. And you'll get mocked. There'll be people that mock. There'll be people that you love and care about who stun you. Think, oh, gee, I didn't know you were like that. It's tricky because you love them. You don't, and when they mock, you might sh shut down and not want to do it. I talk about, if you've got to mind, I talk about a five step on that, a five step to the own journey I went on. Step one was the decision, I'm going to pronounce Teto, I'm going to pronounce place name correctly. Step two, I had to hear myself out loud on my own say Taranaki, not Taranaki, because it felt wrong, didn't roll off the tongue properly. It was hard. Step three, without fear of ridicule and judgment in front of your friends, say I'm going to Waitara, I'm going to Tarotama from Taranaki, because without a word of a lie, a friend, a church friend actually said, when I said, I'm going to white today, I said, oh, God, it's white, mate. Who's got to you, you married lover? I suppose you're wearing a soap on the rope too now, eh? Step four, be authentic. Don't say Taranaki on the marae and Taranaki at the church or Rotary Club. And the last one is to self-correct. Where are you from? I'm from Taranaki, Taranaki. And I say to people, go figure. That's just the human decency to pronounce a place name correctly. Because I guarantee if you were going on holiday to Paris or France, you'd put an effort in, wouldn't you? You'd get the translation book. Oh, oui, oui, madame, French, I love it. Wish I could speak a foreign language, something romantic like French. Yes, people will say, I believe if you put a bit of effort in over there, they look after you better. Um, you try to speak French, they make sure you're okay. I've heard that. Where were you from? I'm from Kananaki. I mean, what's wrong with us? And that's got nothing, actually, if you think about it, to do with Māori do. That speaks to, that spoke to my ignorance, my arrogance. Because not only did I not want to do it, I was determined not to do it. That doesn't, that talks about the person I am. Not Māori, Andrew Judd. How broken are you, mate? You haven't got the, you go, because oh, it's true, if I was going somewhere overseas, I'd put an effort in to pronounce the place name. But not, not in New Zealand. Wow, what's wrong with me? Why am I like that? I'm racist. I'm ignorant. I have to change. I think a common thread I've heard throughout all the things that you've said as well is that it's not just about becoming aware of stuff. It's actually unlearning things that you've been taught, unlearning 
the the systems of thinking and learning the ways of pronouncing uh, i mean I, I was blessed enough to to be doing maori vowels and things at school but generations before me that wasn't a thing no and and i've seen like my parents and and others their age looking at like how do i say these things and it's actually quite terrifying for them because that the, the they don't know and then they try to say it and they still get it wrong and and yet i think like you say it's about taking your time giving yourself some grace um Ooh, and right. and yet realizing that there's work to do to unlearn things i mean today i was in with a bunch of recovering addicts uh i run poetry workshops with them and you know that they're having to unlearn things yeah. and nobody's expecting it to be easy for them you know and and Yet we we kind of expect oh okay I've I've changed some of my views on this right oh this will be a, a, an easy journey and actually it's a lot of hard work uh, and I admire you for for putting that hard work in because like you say you you couldn't just do it in the privacy of your own home you did it in front of the nation in the end it, it wasn't even just Taranaki it was it was the nation that that um, was looking in and going what's this guy doing. Um, <laughs> And and what's he on? You know, causing a big fuss and stink about this thing. And yeah, um, I know. So yeah, thanks so much for having joined us today. Just to finish off, as you reflect on this journey, what are you most proud of about your journey since becoming mayor? I think well, that's a good question. That I think seeing the law change shows that um, persistence with the love and peace is the shining the light into the darkness. It's true mm. because the only the only thing in my toolbox to combat this was love. Yeah. The only way forward was to stay in peace. As hard as and as horrific and scary and isolating as you may feel, it's true. I know it sounds cliche, but the light will shine out the dark every time. And so I guess I'm, I feel very proud and humble that people, good people are standing up as well. We need to give each other permission to, to talk like this in a caring and um, inclusive way because we won't change it by yelling at each other and we won't change it by staying polarised. We'll never come together. That means the dark has won. Yeah. And hard as it can be, I'm, I'm just to see the law change like that, to see councils starting to include Māori to, for communities to be having these debates. And it's nothing to do with Andrew Jarrett. It's to do with divine intervention for all of us. It's about maturing as a nation. It's about who are we? How are we going to be good treaty partners with each other? Oh, thank you so much for your time tonight. I know it's been a busy couple of days for you uh, with the, the law change and all the interactions you've had around that. So, uh, yeah, really appreciate you speaking to us. And, sure. yeah, thank you for your grace that you, you walk with. Like you say, you, you've fought with love. And, uh, and that's been really obvious watching from the outside as well that, uh, you just seem to always have so much grace about you and the way you hold yourself. Um, the fact that you're prepared to engage with those who are like you used to be, uh, I think, just says a lot about you as well. So thank you so much, and thank you for what you do to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. God bless you, my brother. Thank you. Hello. So that was Andrew Judd, challenging, gracious, bold and humble, with some great insights into his journey that I'm sure are a challenge or encouragement to many. This is a kaupapa we will return to throughout the year, 
because, as you heard from Andrew, we have some way to go. As I said at the beginning, all the music on the podcast is by Strawn. Find him on Instagram or Facebook as well as Spotify. And also check out the other work he does over at Commoners Communion. And I'll throw all those links on the show notes for you. Join me next time when I interview Hannah Sheath about life as a paramedic and about surviving two pregnancies that could have killed her and her boys. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll want to go hug a paramedic afterwards to thank them for all they do. Until then, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matua i te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, kia rite anō ki tō te rangi. Humai kia mātou ai nei, e taroma mātou mō tēnei rā. Muro mātou hara, me mātou hoki e muru nei i o te hunga, e hara ana kia mātou. Aua hoki mātou e kawea, kia whakawaia, e ngari whakorangia mātou i te kino.